All right, everyone. It's time for me to read the quote. This happens at the beginning of every episode. Not going to complain. Uh, okay. With passion. A oh, passion? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, passion. I, I am going to be a storm, a flame. I need to fight whole armies alone. I have ten hearts. I have a hundred arms. I feel too strong to war with mortals. Bring me giants! That was so good! My god, he is Cyrano! Yay! (laughs) Bravo! Hey y'all! Welcome to Fire the Cannon. In this podcast, we read the books in the Western canon and we decide which ones belong or not. We have two hosts, one producer. Let's hear a round of names. Aaron. Georgia. Uh, your names. Beth. The oh, names those that... names. Hey, I'm Jackie. I'm one of the hosts of Fire the Cannon. Welcome in. Welcome in? <laughs> Is that supposed to be German? <laughs> no, I just welcome in. Willkommen. To... <laughs> Willkommen to Fire the Cannon. <laughs> To all our German listeners. (laughs) I guess what I should have said is, Bonjour, je m'appelle Jacqueline. I thought she was describing herself. I was. She was welcoming. Welcoming. She's a welcoming person. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a very willkommen person. Bonne nuit. Je m'appelle Rachel. I'm one of the other hosts of Fire the Cannon podcast. And I'm Theo. I'm the producer. Teofilus. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. We are reading the play Cyrano de Bergerac by Edmond Rostand, and we're so excited. The reason we're doing this is because I happened to see the trailer for the new movie Cyrano starring Peter Dinklage, fan fave, (laughs) and I was like, wow, this looks pretty good. Dot that SEO. And I thought to myself, you know what? I know the plot of Cyrano de Bergerac, but I've never read it before. So we should Mm. read it. And now we're doing it. Yeah. I read it in high school. So this definitely fits into our oeuvre. Is that how you say it? Oeuvre. Or did I say egg? I don't know. (laughs) This fits in our egg. This fits into our (laughs) whiff. Egg is the largest cell in the human body, don't you know? Well, yeah. Not Theo's body. Oh. thought it was the tongue. You think the tongue is one cell? Is that what you just said? (laughs) No, don't people always say like, what's the strongest muscle in your body? And they're like, the tongue. It's like, what? I can't lift weights with my tongue. It's not, though. People always say that. Do you lift weights with anything, Theo? (laughs) With gusto, I do. (laughs) (laughs) He does it with gusto. (laughs) To grate a plum. (laughs) As can be expected. Mm -hmm. I lift weights with gusto. Okay. What? Well, I just You sound skeptical. I'm not skeptical. I'm excited to read this play. (laughs) I have to say, I'm loving it. I am loving it. There are five acts, and we read the first two for this episode. I can't get enough of this guy. What about you, Jackie? This is the first time I've ever read something that you haven't read. Like, I've read this before. (laughs) the first time ever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it might be. (laughs) Well, hmm. I was born about a month before you, so I had a little bit of— so you had some time. Yeah, a little time. I was reading Cyrano de Bergerac (laughs) back in October of 1991. (laughs) So wait, 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 wait. Before we get started, so you've read this before. You're the only one. What's your opinion? What was your opinion, I should say? Before we got started. My first exposure to Cyrano de Bergerac was the the Muppet Babies version. Ugh. 
I'm sorry, but it was. Get a load of this, girl. <laughs> Since when have you ever been mad about Muppets? What's the deal with Jackie and the Muppets? So in the Muppet Babies. So the thing is, Rachel's normally happy to talk about Muppets. Yeah, she's normally happy. I know, but this is literally like the fifth time Jackie's talked about the Muppet Baby adaptation of Cyrano de Bergerac. Not on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, not on the podcast. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Rachel's so sick of our friendship always containing this conversation. But in the Muppet version, yeah. uh, some of you might remember Gonzo... You know, the little blue, like, big-nosed alien little guy. He plays Sierra Yeah, he lives in the trash can. Everybody knows. No, plays Gonzo. And then who is who is Roxanne? Miss Piggy, maybe? I could believe it. Yeah. She's female. You're saying she dated someone other than Kermit? I can't remember. Well, she didn't date Gonzo. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I love it. It's great. It's good. I was looking on my shelf for, well, I guess we can transition into this in a different way, but I was looking to see if I had a copy of Cyrano de Bergerac, and I got confused because I don't have a copy of the play. What I have is a copy of something that the real Cyrano de Bergerac wrote, which is a much weirder <laughs> thing to have. And then I saw this, and I was like, hey, Cyrano de Bergerac. And then I was like, this isn't a play at all. What is it? I'll tell you about it. Um would you like to start by talking about the real Cyrano, or do you want to start by talking no, about uh, No, Edmond? first I want you to say your opinion of Cyrano de Bergerac before oh. you reread it. <laughs> Muppet adaptation, great. High school reading, don't remember it. Okay, all right, now you can— wow. Tough critic. <laughs> but I do remember how it made me feel, which was sad. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I feel triumphant at the it's moment. A, uh, no spoilers. Acts one and acts two only. Oh, I mean, I feel sad even just reading acts one and act two. But he's awesome. He's so cool. He is, but I know what lies at the heart of his soul. Insecurity. I know. He's insecure. Mm-hmm. Oh, crap. I think Theo's Theo. going to love this story. <laughs> I think you're going to love it. It's so funny. Jackie, every time we get a protagonist who's a loser, we're like, Theo's really going to roll. He's not a loser. Everybody loves him. <laughs> no, he's not a loser, but he thinks he is. He doesn't really think he is. He thinks he's amazing. He just has one fatal flaw. Guess what it is, Theo? Bad heart. Can't find love. Nope. No, I'm right. I mean, it's... It's the nose, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that wouldn't be a flaw if he were able to find love. Has an ugly nose. His real flaw is his insecurity. It's not his nose at all. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we'll we'll get wow. into it a little more. All right, Jackie. So uh, you want to talk about the real? His real nose was insecurity all along. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, do you want to talk about the, do you want to talk about the real Cyrano de Bergerac real quick? Yeah, so this play is based on, loosely based on the life of a real person named Cyrano. So freaking loosely. It is loosely based, but um, it's just weird to me that, you know, a lot of people have, like, written things that are based on real people or real events, but they don't usually, like, name the play after the exact same historical person. What about Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer? Yeah, sorry, Jackie, you've been proven wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's a good historical <laughs> example. Um so Cyrano was... Hamilton. Can I finish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm actually thinking it's a little hard to talk about this without talking about the play first. But basically, a lot of the characters in the play were real people in Cyrano's life, though they weren't necessarily related to him in the way that they are in the play. I'll just say in the play, he has a love interest and he's a swordsman and a poet and a dramatist and... Just a very smart a fighting guy. A gentleman. A scholar. Yeah, a gentleman, a scholar. He takes great pride in being a Gascon, so someone from this region of France that are prided for their, like, fighting abilities. But in reality, Cyrano de Bergerac was a Parisian. Womp, womp, womp. Not cool at all. I'm upset. Sorry, Rachel. Yeah, he was. He was from Paris. He was born into, like, kind of a noble family. Like, they were 
like ancillary servants to the king and things like this. Um, there's a lot that like isn't quite known about him. He only lived to be 36, um, and he so he had a very short kind of brutal life. Did you say when he was born? 1620 roundabouts. Okay. So, and Cyrano de Bergerac, the play, was written in 1897. So this is a couple hundred years later. Again, it just amazes me that he picked this character to write a play about because there's not really a lot that's known about him. He was kind of like, I guess, some people think or theorize that he was like the black sheep of his family. He spent a lot of time, like, he was born kind of in a, a chalet, like, near Paris, and then he went to university in Paris in the Latin Quarter. And he spent a lot of his time supposedly drinking and going to houses of ill repute and things like this. There was also several scholars who have theorized that he was gay and that he had a like liaison with another author. And um, that lasted until about, I forget when, 1650-something. Yeah, he was probably, it was like, I mean, he lived so short of a time that it was probably like close to the time of his death. But so he was like supposedly romantically involved with this guy and then they became each other's greatest enemies and they wrote... <laughs> How'd that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Bad breakup. Yeah, I guess they broke up and like didn't like it. And then... Um, <laughs> they broke up and didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> they both wrote like scathing things um, about the other one. So let me... Or I have my, my notes here. I'm looking up. Yeah, around 1653, they became engaged in a bitter rivalry. This led to Bergerac sending um, the guy's name was De Soucy, death threats, and he made him leave Paris. And then they this extended to a series of satirical texts that they wrote about each other. So Bergerac wrote a couple of things. One of them was, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but Contre Suicidas, which is an anagram of his enemy's name, Theo. You love anagrams. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And he wrote another one called Contra un ingrat, which means against an ingrate. His enemy slash ex-lover De Soucy counterattacked with I'm not going to say this in French, but it's called The Battle of Cyrano de Bergerac with the Monkey of Brioche at the End of the Pont Neuf. I don't think I'd be offended by that if someone wrote it against me. <laughs> I just I just love that, like, Bergerac wrote this, like, against, you know, anagram of the person's name. And then he counterattacked with something that has his full name in it, and it says it's about him battling a monkey. Well, there you go. So is he calling himself a monkey? No, the, I don't know what the Monkey of Brioche is. Is it like an, a tasty bread? I don't. But if they're battling, the monkey of brioche. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's how you measure quantities of brioche. Oh yeah, like I have one monkey. Give me two monkeys, please. Yeah. So he wrote a lot of like satirical comedy things, and he had a tree. What am I saying? He had a trilogy of of novels, and he's actually credited as being one of the earliest science fiction writers. His works influenced Gulliver's Travels, <laughs> as well as. Um, some of the works of like Robert Heinlein and later science fiction authors. So, and he's believed to be the first person to ever write about a rocket that's like propelled by exploding gases. Really? Yeah. So he had, um, I in this book that I have, it's Cyrano de Bergerac, Voyages to the Moon and Sun. And he writes um, about a character who is also named Cyrano, like that's his protagonist. And Cyrano in this book builds a rocket made out of jars of mist or like dew. And he tries to get to the moon and he goes to the moon. And what he finds there are a bunch of little people who have four legs, musical voices, fantastical weapons that cook game for meals, and they also have magical earrings that they use to educate children. So sort of like us. Magical earrings that we use to educate children. <laughs> Wait, this is a story that Cyrano de Bergerac wrote? The yes. real guy. The real guy. The real guy wrote it. The main character's name is Cyrano. Is Cyrano. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's Later, weird. a different guy writes a, a totally different play about <laughs> Theo, Cyrano. <laughs> don't try to act like you haven't written stories with a character named Theo as the star. <laughs> I don't think I have. Uh, I just read one to Steven tonight. Uh, explain yourself. Uh, no, that's a secret. <laughs> I'm in on it. You're not. So yeah. what? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Can I just read you? Said the back of this. What's going on? Nothing. Um, I'm freaking out. You said nothing. <laughs> Is this going to be a Patreon bonus or something? What are you guys talking about? No. Okay. So <laughs> I just want to finish by. Um, the- You've ruined him for the rest of the episode. <laughs> I don't think I did it. You did it. You said, I know it and you don't. It's a secret and you're not in on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, how could I resist? <laughs> Hurt my feelings. So I'll just read you the actual back of the book, so the summary of it. Great. Cyrano's, parentheses, the real guy, close parentheses, greatest work, first published in the 17th century, parentheses, Paris, of course. This elegant satire takes its hero into the solar system, where he then can freely speak on matters of sex, religion, and humanity. Join the big guy as he wanders about the solar system, meeting up with beast men, the Solon people, and a rep from the kingdom of love. It sounds like a description Theo It sounds would like write. a description of one of our episodes. Yeah. A representative from the kingdom of love? Is that what? Join the big guy as he wanders about the solar system, meeting up with the beast men. Yeah, the big guy. Are you the big guy and we're the beast men? <laughs> Some call me a representative from the kingdom of love. <laughs> yeah, Cyrano de Bergerac, the real guy, died at the age of 36 or so. Um, it's hypothesized that he was probably killed as the result of a botched assassination attempt, which I don't know what's botched about that because he did no, that, die. Yeah, that sounds like a successful assassination <laughs> but I don't, I don't think he. I don't think he died immediately. Other people think that he had tertiary syphilis, meaning like the end stages of syphilis where it eats your brain. And your nose. Oh, my God. I never even thought about that. So he's like, you win some, you lose some. (laughs) That's the best take on that I've ever – I mean, I've never heard any other take on it, but – Any other good take on tertiary syphilis. (laughs) I mean, I never expect to hear a good take again. Um, Other people think that um, he may have been crushed by a wooden beam. So there's a whole lot of ideas. Disease, assassination, and or just accident. That's the real guy. All right. Let's move on. I would love it if I wrote a story and put myself in it, and then later someone referred to me as the big guy. In this story, the big guy. So the play Cyrano de Bergerac, like Jackie said, it was written in, what, 1897, did you say? Correct. So it was written by Edmond Rostand. He was born in 1868 and he died in 1918. He came from, like, a pretty well-to-do family, and he always really admired the man, Cyrano de Bergerac. The big man? And the big man himself. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Rostand's father wanted him to be a lawyer, but he was always interested in— he wanted to be a poet and a puppeteer, Jackie. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> wow, I've already achieved both of Edmund Rastan's greatest dreams, though. <laughs> yes, poet and puppeteer. <laughs> Do you think that means he never tried to write a poem or held a puppet? No, he wrote poems his whole life. Okay. He just was like, I want this to be my career, Dad. And he's like, put that puppet down and pick up a legal brief, that kind of thing. Wow. Ain't no son of mine's going to be born without a puppet. Yeah, that's what his dad said. So his wife was also a poet and a playwright. They had two sons, and he died 
of the flu at the age of 50. But before that, he was constantly writing things. He wrote one play called La Princesse Lointaine, which I actually saw the art, like the poster for. It was designed by the artist Alphonse Mucha. And I went to like an exhibit at the North Carolina Museum of Art and they had the full size. It was like human size, full body. It looked awesome. So that was his like decent success. And Sarah Bernhardt, the main actress, she was a a huge deal at the time. Mm -hmm. But he really only had one play that was like a smash hit. And that was Cyrano de Bergerac. And he wrote some other things before and after, but none of them were as successful as this. So at the time, there was a trend in the theater for things to be more naturalistic, but Cyrano was written in an extremely romantic style. So he was very much going against the trend of the day. Did he change the direction for the whole culture or is this just an outlier? No, I don't think he changed the direction, but it was really, really popular and it was influential. So there were some poets or like there were some plays that kind of took a little bit of this and added them mm-hmm. to their own stuff. Yeah. But no, I mean, as you know, from the early 1900s, like naturalism just got more and more popular. So he died in 1918 from the flu? Yeah, there's a pan- flu pandemic going around. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's kind of like that great Spanish influenza thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Well, you just said those things separately, so I thought we should connect them. Mm-hmm. And so he did it with the Socratic method <laughs> rather than just <laughs> saying it. <laughs> Um, Spanish flu started in Kansas, by the way, so. Spaniards always taking credit for hardworking Americans. (laughs) That's true. Gosh, I hate them. But yeah, written in 1897, didn't get translated into English really until the 1920s. So this version that we're going to be reading, which Rachel might talk a little bit more about, um, was translated into English by Brian Hooker. He was kind of tasked with this translation because like we've talked about on previous episodes, translation is very difficult, especially when it's poetry. And we've talked about a lot of translated poetry. This is a play, but there are a lot of like poetic inventions within the play. I think the play was originally written in in verse, like in rhyming It verse. was, yeah. It was written in verse, but in order to make it, I think, a little bit more accessible, they didn't do that, but then they kept a lot of the poems. But Brian Hooker also had to take out some of, like, references to, like, pop culture things in France that, like, no American would ever get, and he would, like, replace them with things that Americans would understand. Like NASCAR. Yeah, yeah you know, Fried 1920s chicken. NASCAR. Yeah. Spanish flu. Yeah. So it took a while to get anything that was, like, good enough to perform in America that Americans could understand. But then result was worth it. Yeah, so I I chose this translation for us because I did a bunch of research. So as you know, if you've kind of followed along with our podcast from the early days with the Odyssey, we don't have an attachment to like the first most traditional translation into English. But from what I saw, people seem to think that the Brian Hooker translation is the best because this is one of the ones that doesn't try to translate it all into rhyme. Uh. So since it was originally written in French, which is, you know, of course, a romance language, they have a lot more rhymes than we do. (laughs) So when you try to translate into English and keep the rhymes, you kind of have to torture a lot of the sentiment to make it fit. Or if you're trying to, like, change it into new speak, for example— really hard not a lot of rhymes (laughs) but so anyway even though this is one of the early ones it's still really well thought of and um, so far I've really enjoyed it 
I thought, I mean, we'll get into it a little more as we talk about it, but I think Hooker did a good job translating the the poems because sometimes the characters will write poems and recite them in the play, mm-hmm. and he maintains the rhyme for that, and I think he did a good job. All right, why don't we get into it? Okay, let's get into it. So, we are covering Acts 1 and 2 in this episode, as I said. Yeah. So, we open scene 1. It's 1640. And we're opening on a theater. It's called the Hotel de Bourgogne, I guess. And a play hasn't started yet. Everything's kind of getting set up. And there are a bunch of people kind of hanging out in the, what do you call the place where people hang out? The auditorium. And there's just, there are people from all walks of life. You have like pickpockets who are planning to steal stuff. You have a bunch of pages who have peas and pea shooters. And they're so excited to shoot peas at people. And they have like fishing poles because they want to catch some rich guys' wigs and like <laughs> reel them up. Wow. Yeah. And then you've got like ladies of society that are like kind of up in the balcony area. Yeah, you have some rich guys, some marquises that are just walking around snootily. And then you have a regular citizen who he has his teenage son and he's just kind of showing him around and saying, oh, we've got a good play tonight, my boy. Mm -hmm. And that's scene one. (laughs) So in scene two, we, sorry, Theo, but we're about to meet some people with names that are important. Okay. Get ready. So we meet this, like, I guess we call him, he's basically like a middle-aged drunk. His name is Linier, and he's a satirist. Okay. Are you writing this down or just? Yeah. <laughs> so we have Linier. He is a drunken satirist, and he comes in with the Baron Christian de Nouvillette, who is a really hot young guy who is about to join the guards. And he tells his friend, hey, I brought you with me because you know everyone. And I have this girl I have a crush on. I don't know her name, but she always comes to the place. So I'm going to point her out to you, and then you tell me what her name is. Ooh, perfect. Perfect. Can we just call him Christian? Christian? We will from now on. We're going to call him Christian from now on. Linier and Christian. So Christian says that to Linier. Yes. He says, there's this girl I have a crush on. I don't know who she is. Okay. But you know everyone. Yeah, he's kind of new to town. So Linier is like... Linier's like, I don't want to do that. That's so stupid. But then a girl shows up and she's like, I have wine for sale. And he says, okay, okay, I'll stay. And he gets some wine. Uh, And so now we meet another character. His name is Raguneau. And he is a baker who loves poetry. He's like the patron saint of all the poets in town. And he likes to write poetry on his own. Yeah, of course, I was like, Jackie's going to love this guy. He's her favorite. He's universally beloved. Belovable? He's university belovable. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he's universally beloved because nobody knows who he is probably, but he's belovable for sure. As far as you're concerned. Yeah. So his name is Raguneau and he shows up and he's like, hey, has anyone seen Cyrano de Bergerac? And everyone's like, no, I don't see him. Oh, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. So he's like, has anyone seen Cyrano de Bergerac? And everyone's like, why are you looking for him? And they said, because the main actor of the play tonight, his name is Montfleury, but you don't really need to remember that. But he's like, Montfleury is performing and Cyrano banned him from the stage for three weeks. He told him he is not allowed to perform for three weeks and he's doing it anyway. Okay. Does he own the theater company? Like, how nope, does he-, he doesn't. He just told him. He- he's just a guy with a sword who was like, you better not come back here. 
Yeah, he's like, <laughs> don't even think about it. He just thinks he's a bad actor. Oh my gosh. Well, no, that's not the case. There's more, well, but yes, there is more. We don't but that's know one right the... now. Nobody at this point, nobody knows why he banned Montfleury from the stage. Huh. So now Cyrano's friend Labret shows up, and unfortunately, you need to know him as well. Labret was a real person in the real Cyrano's life as well. Sweet. So Labret <laughs> shows up, and he's like. Y'all are talking about my boy Cyrano. He's the best dude of all time. He's the man. He's a poet, a swordsman, a scientist, a musician. Unfortunately, he has a long nose, but everything else about him is awesome. He's seriously like the best dude you'll ever meet. Oh, no, but the nose, though. I know the nose, though. So anyway. But this is the best way to do it. You you build up all this anticipation for the Seriously, character. this is what happened in Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, if you do have an absurdly huge nose, like, that's a good way to kind of build it up. Just say, like, yeah, his nose is so huge, man. Like, it comes all the way down to, like, his shoulders. Like, it's so enormous. And then when you show up and it's, like, just a regular big schnoz. Everyone will be like, oh, well, that's no big deal. Mm. Just oh. really oversell it. So the play's getting ready, and Christian sees this beautiful woman, and he says to Linier, he's like, oh my gosh, it's her. It's the girl that I'm interested in. And Linier says, oh, that's actually Cyrano's cousin, Roxanne. She's an, a beautiful intellectual. I identified with that character. The beautiful intellectual? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so he tells, he tells Christian a little bit more about what's her deal, and her deal is that she's currently at the play with a guy whose name is the Comte de Guiche and he is married but he's in love with Roxanne and Mm -hmm. because he's in love with her he wants her to marry like one of his underlings the Vicomte de Valver so unfortunately you also need to know de Guiche and Valver de Guiche de Guiche Uh (laughs) Valver Valver was that the name of the guy in Javert. Too? Javert, never mind. How did you know I was going to say that? Jean Valjean and uh, Javert. It's okay. a combination. <laughs> All right. Wow, Jackie's prejudice against the French. What a surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so when Christian hears about this, he starts to get worried. But the thing he's worried about is Roxanne's intellect because he's like, I'm an idiot. I'm a huge himbo. This is not going to work out. So he doesn't, he doesn't think like... It's bad because this powerful guy is in love with her and she's cousin to like this other super cool guy, well-regarded guy. And she's supposed to get married to this other guy. He's like, oh, no, but she's smart, though. And I'm dumb. Yeah. He says um, (laughs) it's not that he's dumb on his own, but he's dumb around women. Like he he can't express himself or something. So once, you know, we get this set up and then Linier's like, all right. Time for me to go drink even more. Bye. Peace is out. And that's the end of scene two. Nice. All right. So scene three, Christian is kind of looking over towards Roxanne and he's working himself up and he decides like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge Valver to a duel. So he reaches back to grab his glove from his purse because, of course, he's going to like throw it at him or smack him in the face with it. But when he goes <laughs> back to grab his glove, he grabs the hand of a pickpocket who's trying to rob him. <laughs> Can you imagine and if you're like- just trying to take your glove out to put it on and you accidentally throw it at someone and they're like, all right, you're on, bitch. Like, <laughs> it seems like it would be ac- like easy to accidentally challenge. Challenge someone to a duel. I feel like if I grabbed someone's hand that was in my purse, I would scream and like let go right away. I wouldn't just hold on really tightly. But he holds on tightly and he like pulls the guy out. He's like, he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And the guy says, oh, oh. I'm really sorry. Like, I was just trying to steal from you, but don't get me in trouble and I'll give you some useful information. Whoa. He says, okay, what's the info? And the pickpocket says, 
listen, I saw that you were here with Liniere. Just so you know, a rich guy hired 100 men to kill him because of uh, like a song, like a rude song he wrote, like an <laughs> offensive rude song. So Theo, next time you think about writing something rude about one of your friends, you might want to reconsider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because what if we hire 100 men to kill you? <laughs> I know 100 men. I could take 100. <laughs> oh, 100? Okay. <laughs> so anyway, so the pickpocket says, we're going to be waiting for him, you know, by this bridge on his way home. So if you want to save him, you should go find him and warn him about us. And Christian's like, ooh, but uh, Roxanne is here. Oh, fine. Okay. I can't let my friend die. <laughs> <laughs> so like this tells me that if you're going to pickpocket someone and they could pretty easily kill you as retribution, you should only rob people who you have good information for. Yeah, really. That's like some good advice for life too. He really didn't have to tell him what specific bridge they'd be by, you know. Why not? Who cares? Well, because that's going to get him killed. Maybe if he was like, "Hey, we're we're well, all going to be hiding." Well, he just won't show up. Uh, but whatever, it is what it is. So, so Christian, it's Christian's the pickpockets like pickpockets code. You can't lie. Yeah. <laughs> and the pickpocket says everybody knows that Liniere is constantly drinking. So just go to every single bar in the neighborhood and leave a message for him there. <laughs> Yeah, either you'll find him or you'll find somebody who will see him later. Yeah, so so Christian, I guess, is like, ugh, whatever, fine, I'll go save my friend's life. <laughs> Cock blocked again. Yeah, yeah. so he goes, I, wait, did I, did we say that he's, he said that he was about to join the guards the next day? I think we did. You did say that, yeah. Do we need to say what the guards are? I don't know, just part of the army. Yeah, I mean, I think it's self-explanatory. <laughs> just like a cool little group of guys who hang out and sword fight. Are they all Gascons? Uh, mostly, we'll f hear a little bit more about them in, in Act 2. <laughs> so, now we just have Libret and Raguneau who are watching the play, and they argue about, like, one of them's like, oh, Cyrano's definitely going to show up, and the other one's like, no, he's not going to show up, who cares? And they make a little bet. They're, like, betting each other a chicken that he's there or he's not there. The play starts, and Montfleury appears on stage, and he starts to declaim and like do the little monologue and then all of a sudden you hear a voice that's like get off the stage i told you not mm. to show up everyone's like oh <laughs> shit cyrano's here yeah everybody's like oh shit so then you know <laughs> montfleury keeps trying to do the his part and you have like the marquises up in the rich people area and they're like keep going yeah. like go ahead keep doing the play don't worry about him so he's trying to do the play and you have this voice from the darkness that's like Shut up. Get out of here. <laughs> the reading this play at this point is chaotic because he for some reason the the text is formatted all over the page. So it's not like line 1, line 2 below it, line 3 below that. It's like all over the place and yeah, it'll just be like sometimes the people are like making animal noises. Sometimes they're like yelling insults at mm -hmm. each other. Sometimes they're yelling insults at the actor. Sometimes they're encouraging the actor. It's just it must be great fun to to watch this play. I, I've never actually seen it. Yeah. <laughs> is it staged where Cyrano is like in the audience? Yeah. Yeah, but you don't see him yet. You just hear a voice. He's like sitting down with everyone. Mm. And he's apparently like sitting in the middle of everyone, like in the audience. Yeah. Mm. So like, where's this voice coming from? So anyway, Montfleury keeps trying to deliver the monologue. And then all of a sudden, Cyrano stands up on top of his chair in the middle of the audience. And everyone is like, they are losing their shit. And that's the end of scene three. <laughs> so scene four. All right. So Montfleury turns to the Marquises and he's like, Please help me, sirs. 
I'm, you know, this guy's bugging me. I want to perform. And Cyrano looks to all these rich guys and he's like, oh, well, sure. You want this guy to perform? I'll fight you instead. Come on down here. I'll fight you all one by one. And all of them kind of like look away a little bit. And he's like, what? I can't believe none of you want to volunteer for this. Yeah. He's like, seriously, guys? Come on, cowards. So then he turns back to Montfleury and he says, look, they're not going to protect you. I'm going to give you to the count of three to flee the stage. One, and the guy's like, oh, come on. I don't think we really need to do this. So finally, when he counts to the third number, <laughs> when he counts to three. When he counts to the third number, commonly known as three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when he gets to three, the stage direction says, like, Montfleury basically, like, disappears as though he drops through a a trap door. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So when he does, everyone is freaking out. Everyone. And Cyrano tells his friend, like, look, the reason I don't want him to perform is like, one, he's a bad actor. And two, I have another reason. But that's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> so the manager says, well, ugh, this is ridiculous because now the whole audience is going to want their money back. And so Cyrano reaches into his pocket and pulls out a bag full of gold coins and tosses it to the manager. And he's like, there you go. And the guy's like, this'll do. You can cancel my plays any night you want. Yeah. And the whole crowd is booing because like they don't get there. They're like, we want to see a play. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, we wanted to see a play, but instead what they get is something else. Yeah, but, like, that is such a cool move, you know? You think so? You don't think so? That was so cool. That was, like, mic drop. What if that's the last money he has? It Uh-oh. is. It is. <laughs> that's not cool, then. <laughs> that makes that it makes even it cooler. cooler. Yeah. Okay, so he throws the purse of gold, and then a rando says to Cyrano, you know, Montfleury has a powerful patron. And Cyrano says, well, I have a powerful sword, so that's fine. Wow. And mm-hmm. then... Cyrano says to the random guy, like, hey, quit staring at my nose. Are you trying to say my nose is big? And the random guy gets nervous and he's like, oh, no, no, no. It's uh, it's small. It's small. And Cyrano tells him. It's minuscule. Quite tiny. Yeah, it's so small. And Cyrano's (laughs) like, are you kidding me? Are you trying to insult me right now? I know it's not small. It's magnificent. The bigger the nose, (laughs) the bigger the spirit. Oh, okay. You know what big nose means? Big Big spirit. spirit. You have a big ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so De Guiche tells Valver, like, basically, I do not like this Cyrano guy, which is insane because he's in love with Cyrano's cousin. Yeah. So he should flatter like, him. leave him alone. Mm. Right. But so he says, I really don't like this Cyrano. And so Valver is like, OK, I'm going to go fight him. So he walks up to Cyrano and he says, your nose is very big. Your nose is big. And <laughs> he just says, yeah, your nose is big. And Cyrano says to him, are you kidding me? Is that the best you can do? You're trying to insult me and this is what you go with? Yeah. <laughs> and then there's two pages of him saying, here are way better insults you could give about my nose. And he describes each of them. So he's like, here's an aggressive way you could say it. Here's a friendly way. Here's a pedantic way. Here's a thoughtful way. Oh, that's pretty cool. Wait, we should read some of them. Don't you think, Jackie? Some of them, yeah. Throw money at people that's not that cool to me but this is cool yeah say start from the beginning start from aggressive for example you could have said something like this aggressive i sir if that nose were mine i'd have it amputated on the spot descriptive tis a rock a crag a cape a cape say rather a peninsula kindly ah do you love the little birds so much that when they come and sing to you you give them this to perch on 
Thoughtful. Somebody fetch my parasol. Those delicate fa- colors fade so in the sun. Pedantic. Read pedantic. <laughs> pedantic. Oh, God. Does not Aristophanes mention a mythologic monster called Hippocampelephantocamelos? <laughs> Surely here we have the original. Oh, my God. <laughs> but so, Theo, he, I don't know. If somebody said that to me, I wouldn't think they were that cool. He literally like, goes through 30 <laughs> different insults that this guy could have given him instead of just saying, your nose is big. And the actor has to memorize all that? Yeah. <laughs> that's how plays work. That is a tour de force. <laughs> you know, in the play, in the world of the play, Cyrano's just making this up on the spot, which is impressive. My favorite one is Rustic. Rustic. Hey, what? Call that a nose? Nah. Nah, I be no fool like what you think I be. That there's a blue cucumber. <laughs> blue cucumber. A blue cucumber. His nose is described by himself and by others as fleshy and pendulous like an elephant's trunk, but also like sticks straight out, but also like dangles. <laughs> sometimes it's like soft and dangly and sometimes it's not. And I'm just like, I don't what does the nose really look like? Remind you of anything? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Jackie. I've never encountered anything like that. All right. So Cyrano, in response, he he mocks Valver back, and then he challenges him to a duel. He says, like, ooh, I don't have any more gloves because my last pair I used to challenge someone else to a duel. <laughs> so anyway, uh, consider yourself challenged. Well, actually, so what happens is he's saying this. He's, like, provoking Valver. And Valver says, dolt, bumpkin, fool, insolent puppy, jobber now. And Cyrano <laughs> takes his hat off and bows to him and says, ah, yes, and I, Cyrano Savinien Hercule de Bergerac. So he's pretending <laughs> the other guy good. was describing himself. Mm. Yeah, he's like, oh, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm Cyrano. Yeah. Oh, that's what you are? You're a jobber now? <laughs> Theo's like, this guy's my nightmare. Too confident. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's amazing what he's able to do, but in real life, I'd probably be like, this guy's insufferable, right? <laughs> I would yeah, want to be really. his friend. I would love to follow him around Paris and just be like, oh. Oh, yeah. You could probably just like make some extra money at the end of every day, just following him around being his- And telling people what happened. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, but then don't you think people would talk about you behind your back? They'd be like- Rachel's not really that great. She just says, whoa, every time Cyrano says something awesome. No, nobody would talk about you at all. (laughs) They would just be talking about Cyrano. She thinks she's so cool because she's friends with Cyrano, but she doesn't say anything cool. All she says is, uh. (laughs) You know how people get jealous? Of me? They would be jealous of me for being Cyrano's friend? Well, I guess what I'm remembering is one time my friend was telling me about going to this summer music camp in middle school. And there was a guy there whose name was Will Smith, and everybody liked the guy. And then someone else said, he's only popular because his name is Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) That's not possible. (laughs) That kid's name, Adolf Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) What what was it? Jizzy Jizzy McDroop Droop or something? (laughs) Jizzy McDrooplets or something like that? (laughs) Jizzy McDrooplets. Why did you double everything? (laughs) Jizzy Jizzy McDroop Droop. Okay. Well, here's the thing, Rachel. You're my friend, right? Yeah. How come you don't follow me around all the time, like, cheering when I say dope shit? Jackie, don't oh, ask that question. This is awkward. You're not going to like the this answer. This is so awkward. You're not going to like the answer. <laughs> is it because I never say any dope shit? I'm not going to say <sighs> the reason I don't say. Oh. But I say dope shit to Theo all the time. Yeah. Why doesn't Theo say it? Because he's the one. He's on the receiving end. <laughs> <laughs> he's the Volver in this situation. Like, you think if I insult Theo, he should go, oh. 
Yeah, that was so dope. Wait, that was about me. You guys remember being in elementary school or like middle school and anybody does anything and everyone's like, ooh, Mm. to this day, like that kind of sound just makes my pulse go up. It's just like so Your hair stand on end. Yeah. Really? Yeah, because it always meant like somebody was fighting or like someone's about to go to the principal's office or something horrible. Oh, you don't like conflict. Uh, I don't like conflict. I like useful she conflict. She loves it. I am a conflict. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, Cyrano tells Valver, and this is like a very cool moment. He's like, listen, I'm going to fight you and I'm going to write a ballad the whole time. And on the final line of the ballad, I'm going to defeat you. Whoa. So he explains to him, like, here's the structure of the ballad. Okay, get ready. <laughs> here it comes. And then he writes him a whole ballad. And I'll read you. So he ends each stanza on, then as I end the refrain, thrust, thrust home. home. And every time he, like, crosses swords with Volver. E.T. thrust home. Nah. E.T. thrust home. <laughs> yep. Keep saying it, Jackie. He <laughs> will love it more and more. Oh, somebody would laugh. Oh, oh wait, wait. I'm supposed to go. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, E.T. <laughs> supposed to do that. <laughs> so I'll I'll read you the first stanza. He says, Lightly I toss my hat away, languidly over my arm let fall the cloak that covers my bright array, then out swords, and to work withal, a Lancelot in his lady's hall, a Spartacus at the Hippodrome, I dally a while with you, dear jackal, then as I end the refrain thrust home. So he finishes his poem and defeats the guy, and the guy, like, is grievously wounded and falls back. Mm. And everyone's cheering and, like, throwing their handkerchiefs and flowers at him. They were like, that was way better than that play we were about to see. Everyone's <laughs> loving it. Ragano yeah. says, Magnelephant. How embarrassing. Like, he told you the whole structure of the poem and you still got defeated at the end? Like, you should have been like, oh, here it comes. And duck. Is yeah. it sort of an open structure where it could have just kept adding verses so he doesn't? No. No, it's a ballad. He literally says it's, you know, X number of lines. It's this many oh. stanzas. And then it's on the refrain at the end of the last stanzas when I'm going to stab gonna you. I'm going to destroy you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cyrano seems mm-hmm. OP. And even D'Artagnan, one of the, or like the fourth musketeer, if you're familiar with the three musketeers at all, D'Artagnan shows up and he's like, dude, that was awesome. Loving it and then leaves. What? Yeah. I think it's later. His his friend Libret says to him, come on, Cyrano, like, quit trying to be all three musketeers at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was, was the cute. time of the three musketeers, so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Libret and Cyrano are chatting, and Cyrano says to the manager of the theater, he's like, can we just hang out for a little bit? And the manager's like, yeah, no problem, no problem. So the crowd's cheering, and Cyrano and Libret are hanging out in the theater. Someone says to them, like, hey, guys, do you want to come get dinner? Cyrano's like, oh, no, I'm fine. See you later. And Labrette asks him, why aren't you going to go get dinner? And Cyrano says, I've just spent all the money I have for the whole month, so I literally don't have any money left until the beginning of next month. Labrette was like, that was stupid of you. And he says, but it was cool. Yeah, he does say that. (laughs) (laughs) It was worth it. And so then there's this uh, girl who sells snacks in the theater, and she shows up and she's like, hey, I think that you shouldn't go hungry, and I have a lot of stuff here so 
can I offer you something to eat? And he's like, oh, sure, I'll have a grape. And she gives him the whole bunch of grapes and he takes one grape off the bunch and then gives it back to her. And he's like, I'll take some water. And she goes to pour him wine and he's like, no, 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 seriously, just water. So she gives him some water and then he's like, and I'll have half of a macaroon. So she gives him a whole macaroon and he breaks it in half and gives it back to her. I'm just like, come on. Yeah. She can't sell that other half the macaroon. Just I know that's what I was thinking. I guess she'll eat it. But he tells his friend like, look, I'm a gentleman, so I have to accept what she's offering. But my Gaskin pride won't let me take any more than one grape and some water and half of a cookie. He eats the macaroon and he says, ah, dinner and drinks the water. And he's like, libations and then eats the grape and he's like and dessert a perfect meal well it kind of seems like the the young girl who's selling the food it doesn't seem like she's like into him right but she she definitely like looks up to him she's she admires him she's starstruck that becomes relevant in a second yeah, so they're chatting. It's the next scene. So Lebrette is telling Cyrano, you're making very powerful enemies. I don't think you should be doing that. And Cyrano says, like, actually, it makes me very happy to make enemies. <laughs> And he has this whole long speech where he says, basically, like, when you have a bunch of friends, you're too comfortable, you know, like you're resting on your laurels. But for Mm. me, I have enemies all around. It's like I'm wearing like a spiky Spanish collar. So everywhere I look, I know that I always have to be at the top of my game because there are people waiting to call me out. And I love it. Wow. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? See, that's cool. I admire that about him because that's not anything about me. If somebody said something mean about our podcast, for example, I would be upset. I wouldn't be like, ha, 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 the haters make me strong. Yeah, you're like one of those Italians wearing their soft little... Little robes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he like makes fun of Italian people. He's like, they're soft and they wear these little robes, but I wear a Spanish collar that's spiky. pokes Yeah, this kind of opening like introduction to him as a character kind of just makes me think like, is this an unusual day for him? Or I mean, are we just kind of coming in on like... Seems normal. He literally doesn't have gloves because he got rid of them earlier by challenging someone else to a duel. Yeah, and his friend is kind of having a come to Jesus moment with him where he's like, you know... (laughs) Stop doing this, bro. (laughs) I don't know if this is working for you. (laughs) So anyway, so Lebrette says... Why do you really hate Montfleury so much? And Cyrano was like, he made eyes at my true love. And it was so gross. It was like seeing a big old snail crawling around on a beautiful flower. It was kind of cute, though. Like, it was a little more drawn out than that. Like, he just said, like, I love. <laughs> and Lebret is like, you? And he's like, is it such a surprise that I could love? Yeah. He <laughs> says, is it possible? And Cyrano says, for me to love? I love. He's got this like big, tough, like bravado kind of thing going on, but he's like, actually, I have a soft side. It's possible to be in love. So Lebrette's like, well, who are you in love with? And he says, well, think about it like this. Like, I'm hideous. My nose, it marches before me by a quarter of an hour. So like, who should I love? Obviously, it has to be the most beautiful woman in the whole world. And Lebrette's like, seriously? The most beautiful? Cyrano says, yeah. The most beautiful, the most sweet, the most wise, most witty, and most fair. And Lebrette's like, oh, it's your cousin. Yeah, and Lebrette immediately knows. Like, he, he just guesses it. It's like, oh, the hottest yeah. woman on earth? It's Yeah, it's your cousin, yeah, it's Roxanne. Roxanne. So he's like, yeah, it's Roxanne, but she's never going to know about it because there's no way she would ever accept me. Like, she would laugh at me, so this has to remain a secret forever. But I can still hate Montfleury. Yeah, but Lebrette's like, wow. look, she was here tonight. 
She saw you do this. You've covered yourself in glory in her eyes. Now's the time. Like, confess your love to her, bro. And he's like, no woman would ever love me. And Labrette says, well, what about that little orange selling girl from earlier? She was she was probably into you. Like, she seemed into mm. you. Yeah, like, she didn't seem like she was disgusted by your face. She was she like— She looked at your face. Yeah. She was fine because he's saying, like, no woman could ever look upon this schnoz. Yeah, but the way we just phrased it made it seem like the bar was really low. Like, hey, look, she looked at your face. She might be in love yeah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's—I mean, it's pretty sad. Like, when he's yeah. talking to his friend, he's saying, like, you know, I have my bitter days where I feel depressed about being so ugly and alone. And sometimes, and Labrette says, you weep? And Cyrano's like, are you kidding? I couldn't cry. Look at my giant nose. Imagine what it would look like if tears were trickling down this long nose of mine. Like, no, tears are cool and sacred, and I would never profane them by letting them <laughs> trickle along my nose. Wow. Yeah. But he does say, like, yeah, some days I I feel like I've accepted it and I'm okay with it, but then other times I, I will, like, dare to dream a little bit and I'll, like, see people walking along who are in love and I'll think, maybe that could be me. But then he remembers I have a big nose, so it's impossible. It's impossible. Nobody wants a guy with a big spirit. Wow. Okay. Women are so shallow. <laughs> That is not the moral. First of all, women like guys with big noses. Nay, love guys with big noses. It is a thing. Oh, it is a thing. You can yeah. see them all over the place. Like All of them? Yeah, every man with a big nose a woman loves. Really? Look at Adrian Brody. And I'm imagining Cyrano does have a really big nose because other people do mention it too. Cyr the real Cyrano did have a big nose. Okay, so while they're talking, Roxanne's duenna, like her escort basically chaperone she shows up and she says to Cyrano Roxanne has a message for you and she wants to deliver it like as soon as possible and Cyrano gets so excited and Cyrano loses his shit he has like no cool yeah I mean it's kind of cool for a guy to not have cool you know what I mean oh for sure but the fact remains he does not have any but cool. so like the duenna keeps being like we have things okay wait I'm gonna do you want to read a little bit of the scene Jackie <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I'm going to be the duenna, and you be Cyrano. Okay, so I'm going to start with the duenna. Okay, monsieur, a message for you. From our good cousin, we desire to know when and where we may see him privately. To see me? To see you. We have certain things to tell you. Certain things. Mon dieu. <laughs> and then he just keeps going on. Like, she says a little bit more. She's like, what if we meet tomorrow after church? And he's like, mon dieu, mon dieu, where? <laughs> Eventually, uh, Cyrano suggests, like, let's meet at Ragunot's pastry shop tomorrow after church. After church at 7 a.m. <laughs> 7 a.m., yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll be there, I'll be there. So the duenna leaves, and Cyrano immediately collapses in the arms of his best friend. And he's like, oh my gosh, she wants to see me. And Labrette's like, so now you're going to be happy. And this is when Cyrano says the quote that Theo said at the beginning, where he said, I'm going to be a storm, a flame. I have 10 hearts. I have 100 arms. I have I'm to ready have to giants. fight giants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then someone on stage is like, we're rehearsing. Could you be quiet? And he's like, oh, ha, ha sorry. Yeah, I'll leave. <laughs> so he, he starts to head out and a guy comes by and he's like, oh, uh, I brought Liniere for you. And Liniere's so drunk. And he's like, hey, uh, I'm scared to go home because 
I got this note and the note says there's a hundred to one who are waiting to attack you on the Port de Nesle on your way home. And if it's okay, Cyrano, could I spend the night at your house instead? But so Cyrano says, a hundred, is that all? You're going to spend the night at your own house tonight. Yeah, he says, you got this. Good luck. Yeah, don't worry. Head on out. <laughs> no, Cyrano's like, no, I, I'll fight them. Don't worry about it. What? Yeah. So he tells everyone, all the audience, like everyone, the orchestra, he says, follow me. Well, he he just found out that his, his love wants to talk to him. He's, he's like, ah, I got to do something. I've got to do something with this energy. So he tells everybody, come follow me. I'm going to walk Linier home. Don't help me. Just walk behind me and watch this cool thing that I'm going to do. And uh, (laughs) Labrette is like, wait, why do you want to help this drunkard in the first place? Like, what's so good about this guy that you're going to go to the trouble? And this is a really nice moment. It's like good, very good characterization for Linier and for Cyrano, wouldn't you say, Jackie? I'm trying to remind myself. <laughs> okay, so he says it's because once in the, once in his life, this ton of sack, this butt of Burgundy, has done one <laughs> lovely thing, and that is one day after mass, he saw the lady of his heart take holy water for a blessing. And he immediately ran up to the fountain and got on his knees and stuck his head in the water and drank the whole thing dry. And he hates water because all he does is drink wine all the time. And he's like, wasn't that nice? And that's why I'm going to help him. So he saw his love drink some holy water. And so he was like, I'm... She didn't drink it. She dipped her hand in to put on herself. So he said, I need to drink all this holy water so nobody else can have any. Well, no, it's because she put her hand in. Like, she touched it. So he's going to drink all of it. (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) Okay, but... You don't... Theo, you don't understand. This is the 1600s. They were all about gestures like this. That's a lot of water to drink. It's cute. Well, when he says a fountain, he he means a baptismal font. You don't know how much? (laughs) No, it's not like the Trevi fountain. It's like a basin. In, in a Catholic church. Oh, okay. That's nothing. <laughs> like, it's a lot of water, but it's not like an insane, inhuman amount of water. Oh, my God. My dog did that one time. Marshall. Your dog drank out of a baptism font? Well, maybe Cyrano de Bergerac would have helped Marshall fight off a hundred brigands then. Wait, Theo, tell us the Marshall story. Yeah. Yeah, tell us the Marshall story. One time my brother was making some Eggo waffles in our toaster oven. Yeah, and our toaster oven was placed on a counter right above Marshall's water bowl. And so my brother was trying to get the waffles out and it just slipped out and slipped down and fell into his water bowl. And he had a kind of large water bowl that he would like basically never drink anything from. So it was basically always full and the waffle sank to the bottom. So he drank the entire bowl of water. And by the end, the waffle had totally disintegrated and it was just in like gross, soggy pieces. So he ingested all of that water just to get that waffle that he loved so much. I guarantee you that's the most hydrated he ever was in his entire life. <laughs> Why didn't you start doing that from then on? Eggos ain't cheap, girl. <laughs> Drop other things in there. I know he'll eat other things. You mean Eggos ain't cheap? <laughs> you got like 20 <laughs> Eggos for like $2. <laughs> Jackie. Eggos are good, though. Really? Yeah, I remember eating them. I would eat them with just butter. Surprise. Mm. One time, um, we had like some pizza sitting out in the kitchen. And if you leave anything unattended for like a second, Grover is going to come get it. So like Joshua, I guess, turned his back on Grover. 
And he said he'll never forget it because he was like across the room. The pizza was in the middle of the room and Grover was on the other side of the pizza. And he said he saw Grover look at the pizza, look at Joshua, look back at the pizza. And he saw this like mental calculation. I can make it. (laughs) Yeah, he saw this calculation in his eyes and he knew he was closer to the pizza than Joshua. And they both lunged for it and Grover definitely won. Oh my god! And Joshua like wasn't even mad. Like not that you could get really mad at a dog for doing that, but he wasn't even mad because he was just like, it was just so funny. You could just see him doing that little math in his head. (laughs) Wow. Did he make him eat the whole pizza? Uh, He didn't have to make him eat it. He just ate it. Yeah, he couldn't stop him from eating the whole pizza. Isn't that what parents do when they find their kids smoking? They make them smoke the whole pack? You should have bought him more pizzas and made him just keep eating pizza. I mean, that's what... Until you had to pump his stomach. That's what Grover wants you to do. Grover's paying me to say this. I caught my dog eating pizza and I made him smoke a whole pack of cigarettes. A whole pack of pizzas. All right, let's go back to the play. Oh, well, let me tell dog-eating story. Oh, go for you it. You both do it, no, not No, you me. don't have a dog-eating story. <laughs> you told your dog allergy story last time, right? Yeah, last time. <laughs> okay. It was a different thing. Gosh. Okay. Okay, so I was visiting my parents, and Kaya, the dog with all the allergies, who I hope you heard about last time, I was in the kitchen doing something, and there was uh, one of those resealable packs of Oreos that was left out on the counter, which is, like, way above eye level from Kaya. And one of my sisters had left it out, just sitting on the counter, totally normal. And I was like in there typing on my laptop and I got up to pee and the bathroom is like just off the kitchen. I went in the bathroom and as soon as I started to pee, I heard a like plastic crunching rustle. (laughs) And I just yelled like, Kaya, no, but I couldn't just get up. You know, I had to wait till I was done. I'm like, I know that dog. the second time in three episodes you were like, here's the story of a time I started to pee and I couldn't just stop. So I had to just sit there. (laughs) (laughs) That's just something crazy about me. I like, I have to finish what I'm doing. No Kegels. Well, I mean, come on, Jackie, you can't just stop peeing and then get up. You got to wipe. You got to pull your pants up. You can't just be running butt ass naked into the middle of the kitchen in your parents. Oreos, Rachel. Oreos. And they're not my Oreos. (laughs) But anyway, so I was just pissed because I'm like, Kaya, are you fucking kidding me? Like, she didn't wait till I turned my back or like closed the door of the bathroom. She waited till she heard me start peeing and then (laughs) she grabbed the Oreos and ate the whole thing. What a freak. You think she knew? She knew. Another time, she ate an entire block of wrapped up cheddar off the like center of the kitchen island. And my dad tried to say it was my sister's nine pound cat that she ate like literally over (laughs) a pound of cheddar cheese. Like dad, it was your dog. I thought you were going to say that your dad tried to say it was your sister. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she ate that whole month. (laughs) Lydia got back up on the counter again. (laughs) Also, yeah, the plastic, it was just, it was obviously Kaya, but my parents tried to be like, she wouldn't do that. My cats do that a lot. Like not specifically with like waiting for pee or something, but like they will wait until you're like engaged in something that you can't stop very quickly. And then- yeah, the same thing. I'll just hear them getting into something, and I'm like, ugh, yeah. why did you do this? That's just how cats are, though. Not my cats. That's how cats are. You know what I mean? Hashtag not my cats. Hashtag not my Oreos. This is how cats are. Okay. Uh. Well, we're almost done. So, I mean, Cyrano heads out with everyone following him, and that's the end of Act 1. <laughs> All right. Act two, the scene opens in the shop of Ragano, the pastry chef, and he is— So cute. 
so cute. He's surrounded by all kinds of good food, and it's kind of like a homey little pastry shop. It's not a fancy restaurant. There's like wildflowers and game hanging from the ceiling and lots of people bustling all around. It's early in the morning. It's six in the morning. So they also do meals. It's like a restaurant and a pastry shop combined. And we learned that Raguneau writes down his recipes as poems, mm-hmm. uh. and he also trades pastries for poems. So all the poets like to hang out in his shop because if they give him different types of poems in exchange, he gives them certain pastries or like loaves of bread. Kind of seems like they're taking advantage of him. Like, you know, they don't really listen to him, but they love to come and get free food and just talk about poetry. Oh. I think they appreciate him. I think they appreciate At first I thought it was beautiful, but then Jackie said that. And I don't think so anymore. I know. I don't agree with her at all about that. I agree with her. I don't think it's like in a mean way. <laughs> they don't appreciate him in a nice way. <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, so this kind of made me think like, so in in the poetry, I don't, I don't know how to say this without sounding pretentious. I was going to say like, the, it's not even the poetry program. It's just like the poetry community in Chapel Hill, Carborough area, Durham. Ugh. Like mm-hmm. everybody always meets at this one bar on Thursday nights. And even if you've moved away, you can like come back and have like your Thursday night, you know, little set up with them. Really? Yeah. Every Thursday night of the year, except for New Year's and Christmas, if those happen to fall on a Thursday, there's always somebody there. And what do you do? You just drink and talk and, and eat dinner. What you, you say like, hey, written any written any poems lately? Something like that. Yeah, you can talk you about Can you exchange poems. poems for drinks or no? You cannot. You must exchange money for oh. drinks. But <laughs> <laughs> So it's nothing like Ragano's shop. Man, sounds like poems are worthless. <laughs> <laughs> In this world, yes. In the world of Cyrano de Bergerac, no. That's kind of cool. It's basically that, except we had to pay for our food. Okay, so one of his apprentices comes up and he's like, look what I made you. And it's a pastry in the shape of a liar. And Ragano's like, oh my gosh, I love it. Here, take the rest of the day off. Here's some money. Go drink to my health. <laughs> And he shows it to his wife, and his wife's like, Ugh, are you serious? What a waste. Really? And she says, Here are some paper bags I made, and they're made out of like some of the poems that the poets have traded oh. him. And he's like, How could you do this to the poems? And she's like, You give them so much free food. I thought we had to like recoup some of the money from this. Recoup, yeah. yeah. So, wait, is she the primary antagonist? No. <laughs> she sure seems like the worst so far. Just saying. Worse than he the Comte who's people. already married and is trying to get Roxanne. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. You guys talked at the same time, so I, I don't. So I th- I'm sure I'm still right. Jackie tried to say Cyrano is the worst character, I and I tried to say the Comte Guiche is the worst character. I didn't say he, he's the worst character. I said he stabbed 101 people, so I imagine one of those 101 people is probably the worst character. Oh. oh, oh, okay. I thought you were saying the guy who murdered dozens was bad, but <laughs> I was mistaken. No, the guys who get yeah. killed are bad. <laughs> so she she's printed. So she's used all of these you know poems to make the paper bags, and somebody like a group of little kids comes in some and like kids. yeah buys some little tartlets or pastries or something. And she's like, okay, pack them up for him. And he's like, oh, do I use this bag with this poem or do I use this bag? And then he finally like picks out a bag and gives it to him. And then when his wife's not looking, he runs out of the shop and flags the little kids down. And he says, give me that bag back and I'll give you double the pastries. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He's neurotic. No, he loves the poems. Uh, Okay, so. Sounds compulsive. There's no deviant art in 1640, Theo. You can't just go print another one out. Okay, that was the one yeah, copy. Theo, it's handwritten. handwritten. So he says to Ragunau, like, hey, I have a meeting and I want it to be private. So if I give you a little signal, 
will you clear the room? And Ragano's like, yeah, no worries. I was going to say about the time. He keeps doing this thing where he's like, all right, I have a meeting at 7. What time is what it? What time is it? Ragano's like, uh, it's it's 5 after 6. And he's like, okay, cool. Uh, what time is it? And he's like, well, it's 10 after 6. And, like, it just keeps. <laughs> <laughs> Poor little guy. So nervous. Yeah. I know. He's gosh. nervous. So he's talking to Ragano's wife as well, Lisa. And she's like, oh, you're Elise. And she's like, your hand, it's hurt. And he's like, don't worry about it. So then a, a young musketeer arrives. And Ragano says, oh, yeah, my wife says that's her friend. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> now the poets show up. And they're like looking around and they're admiring Ragano's food. And they're like, have you written anything lately? Tell us about it. And he's like, oh, I wrote this poem and it's about how to make like an almond tart. Let me recite it. And he does. And everyone's like, we love it. Nice work. You're the best. We love you. You're the prince of pie. <laughs> That's why I thought they were kind of taking advantage of him because they were like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Hold on. I'm. Uh, let me just get some more of this. Like they weren't really listening. They were just like eating all the food. Oh, I thought they were listening. They're just starving, Jackie. Is it a good poem, though? Honestly, it wasn't bad. It was really, it was cute. He did a good job. If you're writing a poem about how to make an almond tart, that's about as good as it gets. Does it also completely explain how to make it? Yeah. Not 100%. Do you want to hear? Like, I could read the poem and make an almond tart. No, you couldn't, but other people could. I think a lot of older recipes like that actually are written that way, where they kind of just, they don't give you every step like you do now. Do you want to hear it? Is it long? No. No. Okay. Let me see. It says, it's called a recipe for making almond tarts. Beat your eggs, the yolk and white, very light. Mingle with their creamy fluff, drops of lime juice, cool and green. Then pour in milk of almonds, just enough. Dainty patty pans embraced in puff paste. Have these ready within reach. With your thumb and finger, pinch half an inch, up around the edge of each. Into these a score or more, slowly pour all your store of custards. So take them, bake them golden brown. Now sit down, almond tartlets ragano. Whoa. Yeah. That's a pretty good like little rhyme scheme You love those too. little internal rhymes and stuff. I feel like I should set that to music. <gasps> you should. It's in public domain, right? Yeah. Is the translation? <laughs> I think so, because it's from 1920. Oh, perfect. Nice. Perfect. Almond tartlets ragano. <laughs> there you go. Are you um, going to do it? <laughs> that would be cute. It would be pretty cute. It would be pretty cute. You could make it like a suite of, of little piano songs about food mm. with your bacon song. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring up the bacon song. Now we got to explain the whole thing No. <laughs> in great detail. All right. So anyway, so Cyrano is really nervous and he's like, I'm just going to write Roxanne a note because I don't think I'll be able to say it to her. So could you give me some paper? He's like, wait, what should I write about? And then he's like oh, well, I'll just write the thing that I'm always saying in my brain. Yeah. I've got it all in here. I just have to write it down. And it's, he's like, I'm always writing and rewriting this anyway, so let me just put it to paper. So once Ragano leaves, uh, Cyrano goes up to Lise, and he says, look, your husband is my friend, so don't cheat on him or else. And the musketeer sees that it's Cyrano and, like, embarrassed slinks away and Lisa's like are you serious you're just gonna give up like that you're just gonna leave and the musketeer's like it's Cyrano (laughs) I don't know what you want me to tell you lady it's Cyrano yeah (laughs) yeah I gotta get out of here so anyway so Roxanne and her duenna arrive and Cyrano grabs a ton of pastries and hands them to the duenna and is like can you just take these outside and don't come back in until you're done eating them And he, like, puts them in the little poem bags. Mm. Yeah, she's like, great, sounds good, goes outside. Yeah, looks delicious. So anyway, so Cyrano and Roxanne begin to talk, 
And Roxanne's like, oh, do you remember our childhood growing up? Like every summer I would come visit you in Bergerac. He's like, oh yeah, it was awesome. And she's like, was I pretty when I was little? And he's like, eh, you were you were fine. You were fine to look at, I guess. He has game, doesn't he? Cyrano? He's got game, yeah. Yeah, he's not like fawning over her. He's like, yeah, you're all right, I guess. Wait, you guys don't like it when people fawn over you? If it's too much, it's too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, fawning just... That's too much in and of itself, right? Uh, I don't know. Steven could stand to fawn a little more. (laughs) Yeah. Over me, people could stand to fawn a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. So she thanks him for fighting yesterday because she's like, oh, the guy that you fought, I was supposed – like somebody wants me to marry him. And Cyrano's like, yeah, I know. I I wasn't fighting him because of my nose. It was because of your bright eyes. But so anyway, they're kind of remembering, they're reminiscing about their childhood. And she says, do you remember when you would hurt your hand? You would come up to me and I would like pretend to fix it just like this. And she grabs his hand and sees the wound on his hand. And she's like, oh my gosh, seriously, again? And then she like washes it off and binds the wound and she asks him how it happened. And he's like, oh, last night I just fought a hundred men. You know how it is. She says, look, I have to tell you something very important. Listen, I love someone. And he goes, he's oh. like, <gasps> and every time she says something, he gasps and she's like, it's someone who doesn't know. <gasps> Gasp. At least not yet. He thinks it's him. Theo, keep gasping. <gasps> it's somebody in the army. <gasps> but he will know someday. Gasp. <laughs> it's someone who loves me back but is afraid and keeps away and never says a word. Another gasp. She's like, let me hold your hand a minute. Uh, wow, it's so hot. And she goes, look, I see how hard he's trying. And he gasps. She's like, um, listen, he's a soldier in your regiment. Mm-hmm. Gasp. <laughs> I'm in my regiment. I'm in my regiment. That could be me. Yes, in your company too. <laughs> I'm a soldier in my own company. She goes, and he's such a man. He's proud, noble, young, brave. And beautiful. beautiful. And then he turns pale and goes, <gasps> beautiful. It isn't me. He knows then that it's not him. But she says, anyway, I love him, and I've never seen him anywhere except at the play. We haven't spoken, but our eyes met. And he's like, oh, what's his name? How do you know he loves you then? And she's like, look, yeah, our eyes tell. saw each other's eyes. So <laughs> she says, his name is Baron Christian de Nouvillette. And Cyrano says, oh, that guy's not in the guards. And she's like, ah, but he joined this morning. He's now Captain Carbon de Casteljaloux. Cyrano says, so soon we lose our hearts. And all of a sudden the duenna bursts in and she's like, I ate all the cakes. He's like, okay, go back outside and read all the poetry. So then she leaves again. And he (laughs) says, well, Roxanne, you who love only words, wit, the grand matter, man, the grand manner. For all you know, the man may be a savage or a fool. And she says, his curls are like a hero from Dorfay. And he says, well, his mind might be as curly as his hair. (laughs) And then she's like, again, Cyrano, I emphasize our eyes talk to each other. (laughs) I know he's not an idiot. He's like, but but what if he's a bungler? And Roxanne says, well, then I'll die. (laughs) So he's like, okay, well, all right. So you brought me here to tell me this, but why did you do that? Like, why did you do this to me? (laughs) Why? Why? (laughs) She's like, oh, okay. Well, it's because he's joining your company and I've heard they're all Gascons and that, you know, 
Cyrano's like, oh, right, right, right. We're uh, we're very hot-blooded and we fight with anyone who's not uh, Gascon. Is that what you've heard? And she's like, yeah, so I'm worried about him. And Cyrano grits his teeth and says, not for no reason. <laughs> He's like, all right, all right. So she says, you were so brave and strong yesterday fighting off all those brutes. So, you know, if you would just be friends with Christian, nobody would bother him, right? And he's like, ugh, fine, okay, I'll defend him. And she's like, really? For me? Because we've always been such good friends. He's like, yeah, of course. (laughs) She's like, so you'll be his friend and never let him fight a duel? And he's like, never. She said, oh, okay, you're so sweet. Uh, Can you, I didn't get to hear about what you did last night. Why don't you tell him to write me a letter and tell me about it? And he's like, okay. What? Yeah, she's like, why don't you get your, he's going to be your new friend. So why don't you have him tell me what happened last night? (laughs) Or zero now. <laughs> so she, he kisses her hand and she's like, all right, well, I always loved you. Bye. Aren't we such good friends? And he's like, yeah, sure. So anyway, so Cyrano is standing still and just staring at the ground until the pastry chef comes in. Anyway, so one of the captains in his company shows up and he's like, oh my gosh, it's you. It's our hero. And then he brings in all all the other guards, yeah, they're like, we want to celebrate. Everybody's outside. We've been looking for you all day. And Cyrano's like, I really don't want to see not the people time. right now. Yeah, I, can we, I really don't want to see anybody right now. And he's like, no, 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 come on. Everybody's outside. They all got to see you. It's like so comical. He opens the door and he yells to everyone, hey, guys, Cyrano's here. He says he doesn't feel well. Yeah. <laughs> so then everyone comes in to see him. Everybody come on in. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the weird thing about the guards. And I'm assuming it's because of coming from the region of France that they're from. The cadets, when they see him, they say, Mildius, Mordius, Capdidius, Pocapdidius. <laughs> Sounds like something Stephen would say in his sleep. <laughs> Apparently, if, if you literally translated that, literally, it would be a thousand gods Head of gods, death of God, the little hat of God. And it's because of the accent they had. <laughs> and when Ragano hears that, Ragano is like, wait a second, you're all from the same place. And they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> Bravo. So they're all like really, now they're fawning over Cyrano. Again, as we established, fawning is generally bad. But not in this case. Well, they keep saying like, my friend, my friend Cyrano. And he's like, I didn't have any of y'all friends yesterday. So where are you coming from? Well, no, he's he's fine with the cadets doing it. Mm-hmm. It's that a bunch of marquis arrive and they're like, hello, my dear. And he's like, your dear? Since when? Since when? So it's when the like rich, powerful guys show up and start to try to like, oh, they want to yeah, hear, yeah. oh, tell me what's going on. And he's like, uh, no, I'm not interested in telling you. And so like a poem's like, hey, I'll write a poet or like a poet says, I'll write a poem about you. <laughs> a poem pops up. And um, <laughs> yeah. And Cyrano's like, uh, no, I don't think so. And he leaves. And finally, um, he's like pushing all these powerful people away. And finally, Librette pulls him aside and he's like, dude, what is going on with you? Why are you why are you acting like this? Are you in pain? And then he's like, wait a second. He stands up, he sticks his chest out, and he's like, me in pain in front of everyone? No way. Of course I'm not. Mm. So the Comte de Guiche, you know, the guy who's in love with Roxanne? Yeah. But he's married. But he's married. Yep. So he shows up, and he's like, hello, you're one of those Gascons, are you not? And Cyrano says, yeah, I'm a guard, I'm a cadet. And the cadets are like, yeah, one of us, one of us. (laughs) 
So he's like, oh, so these are all the famous. And Cyrano's like, listen, let me tell you a little something about us. And he sings a song. This is where now it becomes a musical. Yes. He sings a little song about like, I mean, I actually really like this poem. Mm -hmm. The way that the rhyme is set up is very interesting, but it's basically like, we're, we're really good fighters. We're loyal to each other. We love to drink wine. And I'll just read you the last, or do you want to read him the last uh, little bit, Jackie? Behold them, our Gascon defenders, who win every woman they woo. There's never a dame but surrenders. Behold them, our Gascon defenders. Young wives who are clever pretenders, old husbands who house the cuckoo. Behold them, our Gascon defenders, who win every woman they woo. Hmm. So Cyrano's like, I've never had any trouble getting the ladies. Yeah, that's us. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> so easy for me. Yeah. So de Guiche is like, oh, you're a, a poet, eh? Very fashionable. You know, my uncle is the cardinal, and I'm sure you've written a tragedy before because all poets have. And Labrette is like, oh, my gosh, your play, Agrippine, you can finally get it performed. That would be awesome. And Cyrano's like, okay, I'm interested. And de Guiche says, well, you know, my uncle, he fancies himself a playwright. If you just let him redo a couple lines, then you you know, he'll prove the whole thing and he'll put it on for you. Cyrano's like, uh, no, I'm not going to change one comma of that masterpiece. Mm. And de Guiche says, well, he pays really well. And Cyrano says, sure, he pays well. But when I write a line that sings itself so that I love the sound of it, I pay myself a hundred times. So no one could pay as well as I do. So proud. What do you think of that, Theo? Do you wish you had that moral fiber? I think Theo thinks He's pretty good at music. So is that what that means, You think means, if somebody Jen? was like, let me change a couple notes, I'll give you a million dollars, Theo would be like, no. A million dollars? Yeah, if someone said, can I change a little bit of your piece, like a couple notes, in exchange I'll put the whole thing on, I'll give you a lot of money, who cares? Yeah, because usually, yeah, a few notes doesn't make any difference. Right, well this is just changing a couple lines in a full play, and he refuses. What if it's like it's like all fart noises, and then someone says, Theo really believed in those fart noises, he really meant it. Like the whole orchestra has to put their instruments down and stand up and say, Theo wrote that part, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he insisted on that. Nobody else wanted to do it. I'd still do it. Yeah, even for a million dollars, you would do it. Like what if, like what if they had paid... George Harrison, tons of money to not put in your favorite chord in something. Mm. I guess he already had a ton of money, so it doesn't really matter. I'd just call him a sellout. <laughs> a fucking sellout. You'd call him a fucking sellout. Yeah. And you'd say it while fanning yourself with the millions of dollars you got for putting the fart noises in. If you're going to sell out, sell out right. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Cyrano's not about to sell out. Nope, he refuses. So anyway, some of the cadets show up and they're like, oh, we found some hats from some of the guys you killed last night. I wonder who hired them. And De Guiche is like, I did. And then everybody stops laughing. <laughs> Why would you admit that? Yeah, really. Because that means that now you're in trouble, but also... No, you're not in trouble. He's the cardinal's nephew. Well, he's admitting that he hired all these guys to kill somebody that... Cyrano just killed. Well, you're in trouble with Cyrano, but not with the law, I guess. That's a big deal, Rachel. It's Cyrano. <laughs> also, you're admitting that the hundred guys that you paid money for were all easily beaten by this one guy. That's embarrassing. I would keep that to myself. Well, it depends on if you paid them before or if you're going to pay them after. Oh, right, right, right. Because if you already paid all of them and then they just got killed, then you would be a fool. My other question is, so murder is legal? 
or what? If you're rich, it's legal, just like now. Okay. Doesn't he say the reason we hired 100 people to take out one drunk guy is because we knew he was friends with you? <laughs> like, I think that comes out at one point that that's why they hired that many people. You should have hired people who had stronger moral fibers and weren't going to pickpocket Christian de Nouvelier. True. So, okay, so Cyrano takes the hats and he's like, hey, why don't you return those to your friends? And de Guiche is like, I'm offended. But so he leaves and he's like, let's get out of here, everyone. But on his way out, he's like, have you read Don Quixote? And Cyrano's like, I have. And I thought myself to be the hero of that story. Hmm. So he's like, okay, well, uh, you need to read the chapter about windmills again because I think you missed something. Because if you're fighting windmills... I feel like everybody in this book just always says a little too much. He could have just said, yeah, I've read Don Quixote. He didn't have to continue on to say, I like, consider and I'm myself. pretty sure I'm the protagonist. So that's also a dumb thing to say for that story. I know. Mm-hmm. But so he's like, yeah, I read it. I'm the protag. And the Guiche is like, well, listen to this. When you fight windmills, Cyrano says, my enemies will change with every wind. He's like, no, they'll swing their arms around and cast you down into the muck. And Cyrano said, or they could swing me up and launch me into the heavens. Hmm. And then de Guiche leaves. Stop talking. Fight. Yeah. Fight. Fight, fight. Well, De Guiche isn't going to fight. He doesn't, he's not very good at it, I think. Mm-mm. But so Lebret shows up and he's like, ugh, Cyrano, are you fucking kidding me? You did it again. You could have made your fortune. You've ruined it. <laughs> Lebret could be a good comic character, right? Just popping up every once in a while to be like, Cyrano, again. He's the normal guy in this play. He's the everyman. Yeah. Cyrano keeps doing stuff and Lebret's like, seriously? Looks at the audience. Can you believe this guy, Cyrano? Get a load of this guy. Looking right into the camera. <laughs> He's a total gem. <laughs> He's a total gem. He is. So this is when Cyrano does a a very good, I would say, a very good monologue that kind of explains his whole life philosophy. Wouldn't you say, Jacqueline? Yeah. He says, so he's basically saying, it's a whole thing where he's like, look, I'm not going to try to change myself to get patronage. I would rather do everything the way that I want to do it. I know, unlike us. Oh, Rachel, this sounds a little bit (laughs) like... He says, to sing, to laugh, to dream, to walk in my own way and be alone, free with an eye to see things as they are, a voice that means manhood, to cock my hat where I choose, at a word, a yes, a no, to fight, to write, to travel any road under the sun, under the stars, nor doubt if fame or fortune lie beyond the bourne, never to make a line I have not heard in my own heart, nor yet with all modesty to say, my soul be satisfied with flowers, with fruit, with weeds even, but gather them in the one garden you may call your own, and that sort of thing. That's how I live my life, too, a, a, you know, a voice that means manhood and writing. And Cocking your hat at a yes or a no. Yeah, that's what I like to do. <laughs> so, okay, so Cyrano ends it, and he says, I stand not high it may be, but alone. And Lebret says, alone, yeah, but why would you want to stand just you against the world? Like, why? <laughs> why do you keep making enemies all the time? He's like, look, whenever people walk around and they're just making friends all the time, like a dog makes friends, I look at them and I think, my friends are of a cleaner breed. Here comes, thank God, another enemy. And Labrette's like, you're crazy, dude. You are crazy. crazy. Anyway, so Cyrano talks... He talks some more. This is the speech about he's constantly telling Brett how he loves enemies, but this is where he does his little speech about the collar, like the spiky collar and how awesome it is to have people like spitting at you and stuff. And he's like talking about, I love it when people hate me and stare at me angrily. It's It fills me with life and energy. <laughs> and this is when Labrette, he waits a second 
and like slowly puts his arm around Cyrano and he says, tell this to all the world and then to me, say very softly that she loves you not. And Cyrano just goes, hush. (laughs) But like, what a good friend, right? He's a great friend. What a good friend. Like, I I see you're all just like bluster and show. Yeah, he's like, look, you can say that to everyone else, but just tell me that you tried and it didn't work out with your girl. (laughs) Isn't that sweet of him, though? It is so sweet. And then Sierra knows just like, mm, just, 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 shh, 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 don't worry about it. Shh, 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 shh. That's what Steven always does, by the way. But really, though, whenever, um, like, if Steven makes a mistake, like, does something wrong, not seriously wrong, but like, if I asked him to put something away or whatever, and then I come in and I'm like, wait a second, you didn't put the eggs in the fridge or whatever. If he made the mistake, he always goes, shh, 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 shh. <laughs> really? But it works, doesn't it? No. <laughs> I feel like that would make me mad. Really? I feel like it would just be, I would just think it was funny. It's an admission of guilt at this point. I, I think it wouldn't make me mad, but I could see myself doing it to someone and it would get them mad. I think that's the case. And making them mad. And that was an exercise in empathy where you were like, that would make me mad. Yeah. It was an attempted empathy. <laughs> well, if I were someone else, I would make them mad. <laughs> Yeah, That sounds like something I would do to other people. It sounds like something I've trained myself not to do to other people. (laughs) After specific feedback about that very issue. Yep. All right. So so at this point, Christian has come in with all the other cadets. And the cadets are like, Cyrano, tell us your story. We've got to hear it. Tell us the story for this little tadpole. And they kind of start making fun of Christian a little bit. Like, hey, he's new. Let's. Tell the new guy what's going on. And he's not a Gascon. He's a Norman. So they keep messing with him. And Christian's like, hey, what should I do when Gascons are too boastful? And the captain's like, oh, well, just show them that it's possible to be a Norman and have courage. So Christian's like, okay, I've got a little plan. They've told me not to mention Cyrano de Bergerac's nose. So what if I only mention his nose? And at this point, Christian doesn't know Cyrano is Roxanne's cousin, right? Right, not at all. All he knows is this guy's awesome and he hates it when you mention his nose. So I'm going to prove myself by mentioning his nose a lot so all the other guys will think I'm cool. Do you want to read a little bit of it, Jackie? Oh, no. This is seriously like the most painful dramatic irony. (laughs) (laughs) Should we start with, do you want to be Cyrano? Do you could not see beyond? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so he's telling the story of what happened the night before when he was fighting the hundred guys. And he says, I marched on all alone to meet those devils. It was really dark out. There were no lamps in the back street. It was so dark. You could not see beyond. Your nose. So everyone stands up and they look at Christian with terror. They're like, <gasps> he was. And then um, he's like, who's that guy? And they say, well, that's Christian de Nouvier. And he's like, oh, fuck. oh shit. <laughs> oh, that's no. the guy Roxanne likes. So he's like, he was about to kill him. And then he's like, okay. So he like <laughs> kind of calms himself down and he goes, okay, well, as I was saying, it was really you dark. See your hand. You couldn't see your hand before your eyes. So I kept on going and I was thinking um, all, I was doing all of this for this one stupid guy. Whenever he took— And Christian says, a nose full. And everyone's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And Sarah is like, took a notion 
a notion. For his sake, I might antagonize some dangerous man, one powerful enough to make me pay. Through the nose. Pay the piper. <laughs> After all, I thought, why am I putting in my... Nose. My oar. Why am I putting in my oar? <laughs> this quarrel is none of mine. Suddenly a sword flashed in the dark. I caught it fair. On the nose. On my blade. Before I knew it, there I was. Rubbing noses. Crossing swords with half a score at once. I handed one. A nose gay. <laughs> and then he like leaps at Christian and has to be like held back. And then he kind of sits down and he's like, okay. So he kind of just goes, do you want to do all of this? Uh, no. So he just goes it's on just and on. It's just more and more noses. Christian's nose. always Finally, Cyrano's like, more and more he tells noses. everyone, he's like, everyone get out of here. Leave me in here with this guy. He's like, everyone get the fuck out. <laughs> leave me leave me here. <laughs> and all the guys are leaving and they're like, oh my God, he's going to turn him into sausage. Into mincemeat sausage pies. <laughs> they're really scared. They're like, it really frightens me. It could be something horrible beyond imagination. And so they all leave. Mm -hmm. Cyrano and Christian are just facing each other and there's this tense moment and then Cyrano says, come here and give me a hug. <laughs> <laughs> You've got some courage, my son. He's like, oh, okay. And Cyrano says, don't you know? I'm her brother. Christian's like, what? Who? And he says, Roxanne. Well, I'm her cousin. That's basically a brother. Which, like, don't don't say that after you tried to hit on her. Yeah, like, that's don't, weird. Don't do that. Yeah. And Christian's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. And he's like, well, you know, it's fine. I get what you were trying to do. Cyrano says, yeah, you know, she told me everything. Christian's like, she loves me? And Cyrano says, perhaps. Cyrano looks at him and he's like, wow, this guy's handsome. And Christian says, wow, you know, if you knew how much I admired you. And Cyrano says, sure, sure, sure. All your talk of noses, huh? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So anyway, Cyrano says, Roxanne wants you to write her a letter. And Christian tells him, well, I'm an idiot. I'm stupid enough to hang myself. As soon as I write her a letter, I'm going to ruin anything she feels for me. And Cyrano says, well, you're not a fool because... If you were, you wouldn't call yourself one. So, you know, you're better mm -hmm. than that, at least. <laughs> Dunning-Kruger He's effect. like, no, listen, when I'm a fine enough soldier, but when I'm talking to a woman, I'm tongue-tied. I can't say anything. All I can do is look at them. But that's all he needs to do. Honestly, that does seem like that's all he needs to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just look at him. Yeah, if he's that hot. <laughs> Roxanne's into it. So Cyrano's thinking, well, oh, that's interesting because to me, I always feel like if I were able to, like, actually give it a try— I could probably do pretty well at that kind of thing if people would give me a shot. Yeah, he was like, if I looked like you, it would be fine. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're kind of having this little gift of the Magi moment where Cyrano's like, well, if I only looked like you, everything would be great. And Christian's like, if only I were as smart and as good with words as you. And yeah. Cyrano is like, now, wait a second. If you put both of us together, you got one perfect human. One hero of romance. <laughs> I thought they were going to fall in love. <laughs> Fuck Roxanne. <laughs> yeah. You have everything I've ever wanted. We found each other. <laughs> Together, we're the perfect man. Yeah. Yeah, we're soulmates. No, so he says, well, why don't why don't we both woo her together? <laughs> Christian's like, that's a weird idea, dude. Aren't you her brother? He says, "You would you dare repeat to her the words I give you day by day? <laughs> would you dare? Would you dare? He's like, yeah. I'll never back down from a dare. He touches his chest and touches Christian's chest. And he said, there's my heart under your velvet now. 
And just kind of romantic. I like that line. Hmm. Now my heart is inside of your body. Mm-hmm. So he says, look, I've got a letter here all written up. Uh, just send this to Roxanne. I was just practicing. You know how poets are. We just write random love letters. <laughs> he said, so is this, is Roxanne going to think this is about her? Because it seems like, you know, if you just wrote it for no reason, it's not going to apply. And he's like, oh, trust me, it'll apply to her. <laughs> you know how women are. They, women be thinking things apply to them. And Kristen's like, well, why do you have this? And he's like, oh, you know, no reason at all. I just like to you know, practice writing little poems. And this could be about anyone, but Roxanne's definitely going to think it's about her. Yeah, don't worry about it. He says it'll fit Roxanne like her own glove because women just love themselves so much. They'll always think any letter you give them is about them. So there's some dating advice for you, Theo. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say what I found so sweet about this whole passage is that it was really, really nice of Edmund Rostan to write this about me so long ago. Which one is you? You know, it's just... Oh, oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a joke. Yeah. Women always think everything's <laughs> Okay, I thought them. you... Oh, would... that's good. It's just really sweet of him to do yeah, that. that so yeah, sweet. Wait, I thought it was about me. Damn. Okay, so the two guys are hugging and the cadets peek in and they're like, what the fuck? What is going on with Cyrano? He's hugging this guy. The musketeer. I think it's the musketeer who was like having a thing with Ragano's wife, but I'm not positive. The musketeer's like, oh, ho, ho, I guess we can talk about their nose now. Yeah, it is the one who was hitting on the baker's wife. He stands in front of Cyrano and, like, stares rudely at his nose. And he goes, what a terrible smell. You should know about such things. What seems to have died around here? And then Cyrano punches him and he falls backward over a bench. And Cyrano says, cabbage head. And then the cadets all cheer. They're like, yay, our old Cyrano is back. He won't let anyone talk about his nose. Yay. And that's the end of the act. He punches a guy says cabbage heads and everyone celebrates. Wow. Now out of all of the ingenious things he's come up with, that was probably my cabbage favorite. Cabbage heads. <laughs> cabbage heads. He's got away with words. <laughs> you know, like sometimes the simple thing works. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Well, Thea, what do you think so far? Are you interested? Yeah, it's interesting. I love all these I love stories about like really clever raggedy folk. Raggedy? What? <laughs> Why is he ragged? I mean, he kind of is, but we didn't mention it. Somebody earlier criticizes his outfit and is like, why don't you dress nicely? And he's like, because my words are just so good and my reputation is awesome. I don't need good clothes. I guess scrappy is what I mean. Scrappy. Okay. Scrappy and clever. That's a great combination. Okay, because raggedy is like. <laughs> Does not mean scrappy at all. <laughs> no. Also, I wouldn't say Cyrano is scrappy. I think Christian is Cyrano's scrappy. Cyrano's constantly right? like, scrapping. Are you kidding? He's scrapped with like 105 guys in these two acts. You're just thinking of scrappy do. <laughs> yeah, Scrappy Doo. Yeah, you're just thinking of him. So you mean a small little guy who's itching to fight. You, you said underdog, <laughs> but you were just thinking small dog from the Scooby-Doo series. <laughs> also, I wouldn't say Cyrano is Scrappy. I think Christian is Scrappy, right? Like, um. <laughs> uh, I didn't I really watch that, so I don't think that's where that came from for me, but... It's amazing that I watched that. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Did you guys see that thing about how when T-Pain goes to the strip club, he makes them change the channel to Cartoon Network? Oh, my gosh. He's just like me. <laughs> I always ask, but they never do it for me. They say, sir, once again, this is a Kroger. Get out of here. <laughs> you need to start hanging out with T-Pain. I'm sure T-Pain is used to, like, you know, people wanting to become his friend to use him for his fame. But what if you only became his friend because you're like, I just really want to watch Cartoon Network and I don't have cable. And I know you always make the strip club change the channel. 
I think he would understand. Is that creepy? Is that creepy? Like, why does he want to watch cartoons? He just likes you think him. that's creepy? It's not creepy. It's hilarious. I said, is it no, creepy? It's hilarious. Oh, I always, I always mix those two things up. Like something hilarious ooh, happens, and I'm like, out. that's creepy. Something creepy happens, and I was like, ooh, haha. Hilarious <laughs> is the new creep. Now here's the question. Mm-hmm. I guess for both of you, would you date Cyrano de Bergerac? Um, I could be swayed by some fancy words. That's you sure. know you would. Why did I even ask you? <laughs> if you said no, you're a liar. You would date him in a heartbeat. Really? Jackie's a... Are you kidding? Think about who Jackie's been into. He killed 100 people. Yeah, she likes that. <laughs> Wait, who has Jackie been into? Carl Sagan? Also, I think it's fine to kill 100 people if they were all planning to kill an old drunk guy together. Yeah. Like, that's fine. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. What do you mean who I've been into? Do not compare him to Jonathan. This is not a Jonathan thing. Jonathan. Who said Jonathan? Well, who have I been into? I can't say. What? Maybe a guest on our podcast. <laughs> oh, that's just a joke. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have to edit all of that out. <laughs> no, leave it in. People have to guess which one. <laughs> <laughs> You can just bleep out the part where Rachel says a guest on our podcast, so she'll say maybe a guest on our bleep. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, bleep. Well, I'm just saying like a really cool poet who's great at fighting and is always like saying, look how I never bend the knee and I'll never take dirty money and blah, blah, blah. And I'll help this old drunk guy because he did a wonderful gesture one time, blah, blah, blah. Like, come on. Jackie would be like, please take this bunch of grapes. All you have to do is be a good poet. I don't even need any of that other stuff. Mm. Well, yeah. I would date him too. All right. So what if Sierra was a woman, Theo? I wouldn't. You wouldn't date him. I'm kind of anti-violence. You've got a problem. I'm not focused on the violence. I'm focused on the- The wittiness. Talent. The talent, yeah. Yeah, He's but- the most talented man in all of Paris. To me, like, if a woman is very violent and kills lots of people, it's kind of a deal breaker. Sexist. Sexist. <laughs> fine when a man does it, but... Yeah, come on, Theo. Yeah, because that's kind of my thing. He didn't kill the guy he dueled. That guy's fine. He just got knocked out. Oh, really? Yeah. Look, Theo, just forget about the whole murder thing for a second. Would you date a really smart guy with a huge nose? A huge what? Because if they, like, think about they're just fainting like Pokemon. They're not being killed. Okay, now would you date him? Honestly, I feel like I have a good routine set up for myself, you know? You said (laughs) that if a woman is good, it's some kind of creativity, blah, 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 that you love it. Rachel, we can't. We can't talk him into you dating have to date now. Cyrano. <laughs> I'm just saying this would change my life so much. He would swipe left on Cyrano. Dating someone who had this active of a social life in terms of duels, you're saying, would really change your yes, life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, everywhere you go around, everyone's like, oh, Cyrano's here, Cyrano's here. Be like, when are you going to talk about Theo? Nobody pays any attention <laughs> yeah, to Theo. Theo? Yeah. Oh, did you say Theo? No. We said Cyrano again. Yeah. Which do you think would also change your life a lot if you, like, let's just, again, all that other stuff aside, murder and fame aside, (laughs) you're dating somebody who constantly comes up with these, like, long monologues that rhyme about anything. That I would like. Yeah, that's the part he likes. No, it would be cool for a while, but don't you think after a while you would be like, okay, I get it. Like, we're at the Ikea. I don't need a a ballad about it. uh, You think Cyrano de Bergerac would go to Ikea? It's been 30 years, Cyrano. Uh, Well, two questions. 
does he just totally stop what he's doing and delivers the thing? Like if we need to like get in the car and he just starts doing it? No, he can multitask. Yeah, he can multitask, obviously. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Perfect. So so far, this is great. Two, is it okay if I interrupt him sometimes if we really have to take care of something? Yes. No. You think Cyrano would let somebody interrupt his poem when he won't change a single comma for tons of money? Yeah, I do. And why do you think he wouldn't go to Ikea? He likes a mom just like anybody else. Jackie, no, that's that's a, that's a sellout store. <laughs> he likes the lingonberry. I don't think he does. He likes the Swedish no, meatballs. He likes pastries. He okay, likes so the Theo, extor- you're, you're feeling a little bit better about it. Jackie and I are on the page of yes. You guys are nuts. We're nuts. You you are warming up to it. Let me guess. You would date Christian? No. <laughs> the I... curly-haired, pretty girl boy? I bet you would date Roxanne, the most beautiful, wise, kind, intelligent woman of all time. She sounds horrible. <laughs> no, I'd date... Um, Labrette. Let me look over my list of characters. Uh, you uh, you could date uh, Ragano, oh, the pastry chef. I mean, Lise doesn't deserve him. Well... I'm having a hard time deciding. I feel like Librette would actually be a good match for Theo. He seems very empathetic. Librette is the only sensible person in this Mm -hmm. whole thing. That's why he's the Kermit of this play. Oh, also he's used to dealing with absurd artistes, you know, so maybe he'd be fine with Theo. Theo's not an absurd artiste. Kind of is. He's like, I need my composing time. (laughs) Unless I freak out. Or else I'm going to freak out. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I say it. (laughs) Well, okay, Theo, predictions for the end of the play. Who do you think's going to get with Roxanne? De Guiche. Valver. (laughs) Could be. Librette. Oh my gosh, what if he snuck up from behind? Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean comes in from the other universe and it turns out they're connected. I bet in some way neither of them get with her, get together with her. In a happy way or a sad way? In some... Um, I bet it's played for laughs at the end. In some (laughs) way, neither of them get with her. So that means in some way, one or more of them do get with her. And it's played for laughs. It's got to be played for laughs. I think this is a comedy, right? Yeah. It's a romantic comedy drama. It's a rom-com. It's a rom-com. Rom-com drama. It's a beach read, you know. So it's been a long time. So uh, do we want to thank any patrons, wrap up? What do we need to do here? Don't we have a patron to thank? CJ. Yeah, you're right. Thank you for listening to part one. Uh, Next week we will be covering Acts 3, 4, and 5, and that will conclude the end of Cyrano de Bergerac. But in the meantime, we have somebody else very important we need to talk about. And that would be CJ, our newest patron. Yay! Woo, 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 Claps woo, woo. for CJ. Uh, CJ is a friend of a friend, so I don't know CJ, but um, one of my friends introduced him to our podcast, and he apparently likes it a lot. And so does his partner, who told CJ that they're not allowed to listen to our podcast anymore without them. <laughs> I thought that was very nice. So thank you, CJ's partner. And it was especially nice because what I thought was going to be said was CJ's partner told him he's not allowed to listen to the podcast anymore. Yeah. Like you heard <laughs> it and you were just like, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> I don't like those girls. Yeah. Uh, please never play that in my presence again, lest the end of our marriage ensue. And that's not what you said. You said, don't listen to that without me. So thank you for adding those last two words. Thank you, CJ, for becoming our patron. We're so happy to have you, and we just really appreciate it. Like, we appreciate all of you patrons. So, again, thank you so much. Yes. I have one thing. I think I have an announcement to make. What? <gasps> Rachel's pregnant. Oh, my God. No. Oh, my gosh. No. Uh, but I did want to say um, one of our previous guests, Lindsay Kelk, 
Her most recent book, On a Night Like This, it has its American and Canadian release today on January 18th. So by the time this episode is out, it will have been out for a while. Cool. Go pick that up. We love Lindsay. If you want to read something and support one of our one of our favorite guests, everyone's our favorite guest, but Lindsay's one of our favorites. So if you want to support her, you should definitely check that out. She's also just a really good person. Like you're not going to have to worry about buying one of her books and then being like, oh man, I gave money to a transphobe. Not Lindsay. <laughs> okay, let's not include that. <laughs> let's Why? not include that. Because it's, it's just true. too weird to be like, she's a good person. Here's a random bad thing that doesn't apply to her. <laughs> I'll beep out what she actually said. <laughs> just cut it out before I say let's she's Let's just a, put it this way. Lindsay's a good person and she deserves your money. <laughs> has not once, not even once has she perpetrated genocide against anybody. It's also, yeah, I think you'll like it. I think you'll really like it. If you're interested in a good romance, this is the one for you. Love it. And if you're interested in a bad romance, check out Lady Gaga. Yeah. (laughs) Check out Lady Gaga. Also, happy 21st birthday to my youngest sister, Caitlin. Is it the day Uh, that we're recording or the day it's released? No, it's currently today. Oh, okay. Happy late birthday, little Caitlin. You know who else has a birthday today? One of our patrons. Who? Quishan. Really? Oh. We're not going to mention all of our patrons' birthdays. Because we don't know them all. <laughs> okay, happy late birthday to both of you. Happy book birthday to Lindsay Kelp. Love it. All right, and thanks for joining us, CJ. Happy first patron birthday to CJ. We love CJ. We really do. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, bro. We met eyes with CJ at the theater. We could just tell. Yeah, and I could tell you're no idiot. <laughs> if you would like a shout out at the end of an episode or in the middle, who cares? If you have a preference, you can let us know. You should check out our patron, which is patreon.com slash fire the cannon and our instagram and our twitter and our tiktok are fire the cannon pod is that right you remembered the tiktok way to go i know i know our gmail is fire the cannon podcast at gmail.com and we've got a facebook group well two facebook groups anyway if you got a hot take because we recently released our first hot take episode we've got episode two mm-hmm. coming at you soon in the works in the works mm-hmm. you'd like one of those email us dm us whatever but especially if you want to become a patron go to our patreon we've got all kinds of cool stuff for you okay have a great week and tell people you love them unless it's your cousin sorry Cyrano, that's i've got a problem with that okay bye bye bye, bye.